Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Welcome to today's podcast. You may have recently caught the September series, which was the brainchild of this week's guest, a weekly platform that ran through the month of September to discuss a range of business mentoring topics. And uh, I guess, you know, regardless of where you were in business, um, there was something for everyone. However, Anthony Phillips, who is our guest here today, uh, better known as one half of the Phillips brothers who built and sold Camp Australia, is here with me today and to share his great Australian story. But before I go further into the questions and the uh, and, and the interview, I just wanted to uh, give everyone a high-level understanding of what Camp Australia was. It started in the mid-70s, um, in the mid-80s, actually. It started in the mid-80s, in 1987 to be exact. Um, Anthony and his brother Andrew um, commenced a, a, a business that was literally looking after children after school, teaching them how to play tennis and, and do sport. That business over the years grew to 150 in the internal team and about 4,500 in the field um, throughout Australia. And it serviced at any given time 40,000, 40,000 that is, clients every single week. And uh, the business was um, ultimately exited by Andrew and, and Anthony in, in, in 2017. Anthony is also very closely associated with the AFL. He, he played at a high level. He still coaches and, and influences some of Australia's leading talent as it relates to the AFL. He is an influencer and ultimately he's, an, he's a philanthropist and a generally an all-round great guy. So, Anthony, good afternoon and welcome uh, to our sharing, our great Australian story sharing this afternoon. And uh, before we get going, I always love asking this question. What has been your biggest roadblock in business or life and how did you overcome it? Uh, thanks, Stefan, and uh, great to be back with you again and uh, a, a big good afternoon to all the listeners. And, uh, yeah, definitely um, we had plenty of roadblocks. If you don't have roadblocks, you don't sort of progress and grow. Um, and, and I'd sort of categorise it in a couple of words first that um, I always had a big saying that, um, you know, uh, there is a solution to every problem and uh, there are always uh, any human living knows there's issues that come up, but it's really can we find a way and um, what can we do? The can-do attitude is, is something I've always employed. So in business, one of the big roadblocks I had early on was uh, what I'd put down to tall poppy syndrome. And I was a, it was my first full-time job at, um, at a school teaching physical education and um, what I saw was a need there for young children to be active and, and doing lots of sports. And, and it was probably a school that um, was quite, had a lot of older staff. I think uh, I remember, I think um, I was the youngest at just in my early 20s and the next oldest at the time when I first got the job was about 46. So it was a big gap there. And I suppose it, at all the morning teas and lunch times, I just wanted to get out and, and play sport with the kids and get them fit and active and interested in sport, what I loved. And so I probably isolated myself a bit out from the staff, really. I, I was just there for the kids, which, you know, the principal loved, the leader, and of course, the kids and their parents um, really enjoyed. Um, it led to probably probably a little bit of resentment. In, I suppose teachers would peer through the window and what the hell is this young guy doing? And uh, 
you know, I suppose what happened was the kids got to like who I was, I suppose, and what I was about. And, um, and really their parents and the kids kept asking me, can you run some after school sports and before school? And I thought, yeah, no worries. I've got some time to do that. And I suppose I started doing that. And, and that's when that roadblock came that a few teachers I remember got a bit, you know, would, would be mumming um, and ahhing whether how can this person who sort of got a full-time job at the school be out there, not that they even knew, and I wasn't even getting paid at the start, but what, why is he doing all this extra stuff? And, of course, um, I had expertise and qualifications in what I was coaching, doing a lot of sports. So the principal thought this was great, and he, and he sort of got right on board with me and let me go and said, yeah, do it. This is looking great for the school. And so, yeah, so that's how I over, overcome, uh, overcame that uh, issue was that he got on board and I suppose it made um, the school, you know, I introduced house systems and girls sport and a lot more inter-school sport, intra-school house competitions, stuff that wasn't even there. And um, I suppose that was um, super positive for all the kids and the parents and and um, he he just backed it right in. And uh, look, the, the staff were pretty good, but I just thought, yeah, I suppose after a while, you know, I wanted to get paid for my time too. I was doing heaps of extra hours after school that none of the other teachers were prepared to do. And so, yeah, that was a big business roadblock at the start. And I remember getting quite emotional and a few wanted to, you know, sort of go to the principal and say, you can't be doing this and that. And yeah, it was, it did affect me a bit as a young youngster. And so I'll never forget that, but it spurred me on to bigger and better things um, in life the biggest roadblocks probably, you know, in that stress sense and health, um, I suppose, got to that point of a massive physical, mental exhaustion, probably by early 30s. So probably when a dozen or so years really hard in business, and I was just working five in the morning to 10, 11 at night, you know, pretty much, you know, um, seven days a week. And I, I think um, just went over the top, probably a little bit trying to push things. I, I suppose I saw some dollar signs and some money and and it was something I loved. So I'm thinking, how good's this? And so I just kept pushing the hours and I was fit and strong and just went at it. And um, yeah, I mean, it obviously um, when it built into a bigger business, there was probably additional stress by the worry of the number of children and the number of families we dealt with. So yeah, I suppose they were some block roadblocks in life. And, and how do you overcome that? Well, yeah, took a couple of breaks. We always used to do Liz and I, my wife, um, you know, sort of eight, 10 week stints really hard in school term and always go away for the two um, weeks holidays. So we'd go traveling with our kids around Australia and camping and a few little overseas trips as they got older. Um, so we made sure we did that. We we're routine with that to, to uh, break it up. But then our business got bigger in the holiday school holiday time. We started doing all these camps. So it's sort of it filled up more time. So we had to sort of try and find a, the odd week here and there um, during the school term. So, you know, that was that was another way we did it. But also we restructured management, delegated, trained up a lot more people, um, did a lot of personal development, did a lot of courses in the States and um, here in Australia, started things like meditation and yoga, which I've done for 20, 25, 30 years. Um, relaxation techniques was probably looked at quite funnily in those early days but I found it that's what got me the calmness and the clarity of mind to to get through pushing really hard because we really wanted to push hard and and see what we could do with all our um, sports and and it was probably a burgeoning sort of new business like it was who, who would have thought you'd make money out of coaching sports and running kids camps and kids entertainment and stuff like that so 
It took a lot of effort, but um, yeah, you had to have that sort of, I suppose, work life and family um, work balances. Those two is how I overcame, you know, some of that uh, that stress early on. That's amazing, Anthony. And, and, and like many of us, um, something always starts from nothing. You know, you created something out of nothing. When you think back to your early days in the teaching realm where you just, you know, you didn't want to sit around. I mean, how, how many um, days of our lives reruns can you watch during lunchtime in the uh, in in the in the, uh, in the in the lunchroom and and whatever? So you went out there, you started something, you created something, then you went hell for leather, which is testament to a lot of business owners, right? A lot of business owners um, think if they just work harder, they'll get there faster, and um, ultimately, um, and, and you had passion, so it's really interesting. Something out of nothing, almost that burnout. Then you uh, pulled the lever back and said, "Well, let's go into delegation and and progression." And and here you are. And um, looking back, what what an amazing summary of almost 30, 35 years there. And uh, I love that. For those listening who don't know you at all or don't know much about you, tell us a snapshot of of you and what a day in the life of you looks like. I mean, you just gave us a really good retrospect. What does it actually look like today? And just fill that void for us. What yeah. does it actually look like? Uh, yeah, well, I'm a pretty relaxed sort of guy these days. Um, you know, I don't like to have too much fuss made about, you know, even birthdays and dates and events and things. Like I think I think I just love the fact that, you know, we're given this amazing life. This is the gift. Uh, I've realised this is the gift to actually be living as a human. I mean, it's just amazing, the nature and the relationships and the, you know, it's all the non-material things, I think, you know, just um, the beautiful sunsets and sunrises um, keeping life pretty simple, like you know, why do we need all this stuff? You know, like just, just you know, you got, you might have a few little passions and hobbies and things, and that's great, but not going overboard. Like, you know, I like to just stay really clear and calm. So if I'm giving energy and time to something, I want to do it really well. And um, yeah, so I, I suppose people would think I'm reasonably level-headed. I think I am, and um, try not to get too up or down emotionally. Try to try to keep a pretty level about um you know appreciating that life has is a roller coaster and it has lots of you know things come up every day but um i try and keep that um pretty stable um my big passions now is coaching i, I just i'm just so inspired by seeing people want to get the best out of themselves and and so i just i live to coach really i'm probably a coach of the coaches been doing it. Uh, I remember saying I did my level one AFL coaching back in 1989, and I just did my level three in about 216, I think it was. So, and I swear I'm coaching a different game. You, you know, uh, it's amazing. You know that that uh, in that particular sport that I do a lot of, but I do. You know, I'm a qualified coaching quite a few other sports in tennis and, and swimming and athletics and um, basketball and play, and things like that. So. That's my absolute passion. I, I don't know what it is. That's just me. I just love working with young people, young guys and girls uh, around sport, using sport as the area to grow and develop and, and go through some ups and downs and a journey that, you know, just builds their whole self-esteem and confidence and physical, you know, mental um, abilities as well. Um, I definitely have massive passion about mentoring small businesses, but probably more with a social impact. So because we, we do philanthropy now, and have a couple of foundations I find, especially in COVID and, and even pre that is helping businesses just navigate and, you know, learn some basics, um, basic disciplines around business um, has helped them get a little bit more efficient in what they're doing. So, so their dollars can go with greater impact to the grassroots. So us being teachers, I love to see, 
you know, the kids on the ground, if it's education, that's what we support in, in our foundations, really, you know, tens of thousands, um, you know, benefit from, from the good work of these organisations. And probably the other thing is trying to get them to network. I love networking and making them try to see that they could collaborate for a, you know, a double whammy effect in the social impact. So I love that philanthropy side. And Liz and I have loved to travel. I mean, it's it's massive. We have two big BHAGs, our big, hairy, audacious goals in a in a personal sense, but we want to visit 100 countries. And, and Liz is pipping me at the moment. She's on 63, I'm on 62. You know, and this is in our lifetime. We're trying to get to 100 and, and we want to build 100 schools. And we're on what are the nine. next? What are the next five countries, Anthony? Uh, well, we had all lined up to go to Montenegro and um, Croatia. I haven't been all through that area. Albania. Um, we're going to climb Mount Olympus, actually. Um, got a group of guys, so that was all cancelled, obviously, because of COVID. Um, so that that little part of the world. I haven't been back to Europe. Liz and I backpacked through Europe or back in '94. Um, most of Western part of the Eastern Europe. But, um, yeah, we haven't been to the sort of Balkans out that, that way. So that was um, something there. But went to Antarctica last year. We've been to all seven continents, um, you know, uh, South America, yeah, um, Africa, um, all through Asia, you know, most of Europe, North America. So we've, we've had a good breadth. But, you know, there's hundreds of other countries I haven't even seen. Like, so, so that's um, great. And the other second one was to build the 100 schools around the world. And we're up to nine so far. <laughs> We've got to get to the magic 10 soon. So I um, oh, love yeah. that. So, and, and just on that, what sort of schools are you building? I mean, just to give us a bit of reference on that. Yeah, well, they go from uh, ones we did back with our business um, through our foundation were tin shed type setups in the, the mountains of northern Ethiopia, would you believe? And uh, we keep wow. that to walk 10, 15 Ks, you know, get their water you know, in real harsh conditions and heat and that sort of thing. So uh, we did that one actually with World Vision years ago. And, and then we put in the whole infrastructure. So we got all the kids from our programs to write the libraries, the books, the maths puzzles, the equations. And um, we supplied all that, uh, shipped that all over for the teachers. It was an amazing project, that one. And um, yeah, so that, that's the sort of um, probably the cheaper style to to things that are quite uh, expensive to build in places like Africa and through Asia because you've got to get organizations who do that and liaise with their governments and you know we, we try and train and sponsor teachers to actually um, you know get the, the best education systems into those countries and um, the big ones getting girls you know making sure girls get educated from five you know from at a young age and that most kids don't leave school at 12 you know may, may, we take for granted but you know, in a lot of places in Asia and Africa, kids only get a primary education. Twelve, it's it. That's it. You, you can't. They can't afford to go on to, to secondary and tertiary. So, yeah. So that's a big passion of ours because we're teachers and we've seen we've seen three, four year olds in the fields in the back of China and Africa and these places with a lot of poverty, just working in the fields. You know, just hoeing. Um, you know, fields and doing a lot of physical labour, and they have no choice to, for their own destiny. You know, like it's just because the parents are uneducated also. So. You know, that's the plight of many young kids. And because we've seen it, it's just so deeply passionate to saying, well, that's what we want to do with our lives. Yeah, yeah and I love that sharing, Anthony. And, and, and it is a passion of mine too, you know, the the impact of education and every child on the world, every child. There should be not one child in the world that is not given an opportunity for education. I mean, the impact of education is time. It, it's a 10x. Uh, what has been your number one biggest learning in business or life? 
and how has it helped shape you and your business? And, and you've given us a really good backstory here, and this, this is a big question, but what has been, if you can reflect on number one, biggest learning in business or life, how has it helped shape you and your business? Well, I mean, um, there's massive, massive learnings. Um, you know, to be, to be the expert in the industry with your product or your service you know, was a was a key thing, and and to to learn that you've got to just keep developing and keep learning and keep working hard at what that is. And our product was coaching kids and teaching phys ed, sport, um, activity, health, well being, those sort of things to kids. So you're always you know PDing yourself, going to conferences, courses, getting business mentors, joining networks. Um, seeking feedback, even from the kids and other teachers, like always. And the principal, like, yeah, having mentor teachers was awesome. Um, in business, definitely, because we never did a business degree. We did a lot of short courses as we went, um, like the accountants for non-accountants and stuff like that, to read all the, all the correct figures. And um, I always think business is still pretty simple, but, you know, you've got to apply those basics and those disciplines and you've got to treated a bit like we did a sporting team and, and a coach and having your, your leaders and people in the right positions doing their right roles. So, you know, it's, it's massive learning to, to get that team right and not be afraid to tweak it every year, freshen it up, um, add some expertise to them as well. So we backed a lot of our staff in to do their studies and courses. We'd subsidize their studies to, to, so they could help contribute more to our business. Um, so we really paid also probably in the later times to answer the question too is to, for more expertise. People that had more value, smarter than us, better than us in their areas and their faculties, whether it was finance, marketing, selling, HR, logistics, whatever it was, we were not afraid to spend on good people and go through a very um, strict HR process because we're a real HR business. You know, we're really, you know, it was dependent um, at the coalface on a people interaction, but also many staff to deliver our way. So it had to be uh, done really uh, well. So our management team grew and, and became a very powerful unit that we all, all had buy into the business in the end and all had um, each other's backs and support, um, but always robust, um, you know, conversations and trying to push ourselves to be our best. Um, so that was, that was just great. So I learned a lot from other people, my, my other, the mentors, but my own staff, I was never afraid to learn from someone above me, more experienced, but also lower. I'd always speak to the cleaners and, and our, you know, our, um, guys that work down in our storage center, just doing logistical stuff and packing cars and shelves. Like it was amazing. Some of my best ideas in business came from those guys. They said, have you thought of doing this? And I'm going, wow. So I used to walk the floor, walk the, yeah, just talk to everyone, fly around the country with my wife, Liz, and, and, and visit, do some undercover boss stuff. And um, that's how we learnt, um, you know, some of the best things on the ground about our business. And, you know, really, um, that's what builds your confidence in what you, you do, um, getting those experiences. Of course, you have some good and bad situations that come up. But, um, you know, if, if you empower people and you have good systems and structures, we could get past most of those tough situations and some of the time we probably should have celebrated a bit more um I, I, you know my brother likes to lick of the ice cream but uh i was pretty dogged and just keep going just keep going but uh he, he was good in uh, implementing you know let's celebrate some wins you know as we went through so you know that that also got us a lot more positive and and as my dad used to say 
have some serious fun. You know, it's serious, but make sure you have fun because business has taken up a third. It was taken up probably a half, maybe three quarters of our life, maybe full full time for about 20 years, like just engulfing you. So um, I suppose those learnings, um, they, they all shape where you are today. Thank you, um, Anthony. You had me at, um, you know, to be the benchmark, to be the, uh, you know, to be the pace setter, you have to, well, firstly, it's important to know who's currently in that position, you know, and then go for it, really, and, and invest in your people, grow your people, learn from your people, bring mentors in, um, reach, reach for the highest heights and there's no glass ceilings. Love that. That's a great sharing there in the last five minutes. Anthony, thank you. Uh, what prompted you to help businesses by launching the September series in late August? What prompted you to, uh, you know, flip the switch on that one? Yeah, I think um, probably three or four things. First one's to genuinely give back um, as gratitude for the great mentoring we received. So that was definitely a motivation. Doing aligned activity with my brother. He was... Um, yeah, probably he's got younger kids and he was sort of toing and froing, not sure what to get his teeth into. He, he's a full-time recreationist, I call him. You know, <laughs> you ride his bike and go swimming and, uh, you know, walking and play golf. And I said, mate, what, what about doing something to help, you know, just put something back into a few people? And to his great credit, he's, he's doing some great philanthropy work also. But it was to get him a bit focused because he was a as I've said to you, Stephen, he was like um, my my early business mentor said, that guy's gold, he's gold. And, uh, you know, they didn't really see the brother connection, but just the way he could speak, he's very charismatic, Andrew. You've heard him on the series there. And, um, you know, so doing something aligned with him. When we worked for 30 years and we split it to 16, 17, it was like, you know, like um, we actually enjoy each other's company. So, yeah, we thought that would be a good thing to do together. Also to join with people like yourself, you know, to get on board with um, experts in business coaching and structuring business and uh, mentoring, um, which you're doing a great job with and, and uh, getting to know you with Stephen through some footy coaching. Um, yeah, just thought there couldn't be a better personal approach and it may have said yes or no, but, you know, to our great, um, you know, great uh, um, benefit, you know, you, you agreed to join in and um, Nikki and your team were fantastic helping us put together and, you um, I suppose the last part, as you know, was with Judd Murray. So, so I've done a bit of work with Judd and he, he's really that mind body, the mindfulness, that meditation, that, that ability to really uh, train your brain, not just train our bodies, but um, make sure that brain is clear and it's got the right space to prioritise and focus. So he, I utilise Judd in a number of our sports mentoring series and I just thought he'd be really good and he does a lot of corporate stuff as well. So you know, to, with people going through COVID and the stresses with family and their businesses and their jobs and their roles, you know, I just thought if we can give back with just some ideas and tools and thoughts and conversation, you know, it'd, it'd get um, at least people uh, in a happy frame of mind. That was good and it was a great success. It was great to be part of that. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, what are you most proud of in your life and what would you say is your number one legacy? And, and let's just say there's still at least, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 weeks in life to go. So this is not it, mate. I mean, my first mentor, uh, Anthony, as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, he, he, at the age of 30, he said, okay, write your post-mortem. And I want you to do that every time you have a milestone birthday. Write your, you know, write, write your, uh, you know, this is your life. You know, not so much what you did, how you did it. Um, so what are you most proud of in your life? And what would you say is your number one legacy? 
most, most proud of um, Jeff, definitely um, the family you create. I suppose you start in the world as one, you join with another. So um, meeting my wife was amazing. That was at college and she did the same study from 18, phys ed teaching. And, you know, she was probably, you know, when the sparks fly and you just think, Jesus, something about that, that person. And um, yeah, but it was always in a, in a big picture sense of something about her dreams and her thoughts and her outlook on life and um, her family values and um, her love for kids and her passion for coaching. And so I was really, you know, to, to um, you know, try and uh, hook up with Liz was, was probably the, the biggest challenge. Yeah, she didn't come on straight away, but I worked pretty hard because I thought there's a good future there. And uh, she was certainly, found, you know, unbelievable. The third um, part of our business, the very silent part that a lot of people don't know, and she played a massive, uh, massive third leg of the chair type uh, role um, behind the scenes. Yeah, her admin and logistical you know, uh, clear organisational thought put a lot of stuff in perspective and a lot, lot in very good order in what was a very chaotic, you know, fast building business. And of course, my kids, like we all say, I just, um, yeah, just adore our kids. And um, yeah, they're just, I, I just love to have been there building them up. And, um, you know, Liz and I are big on teaching the disciplines, the hard side, and then the, the great joys of, um, you know, working hard and achieving a few bits and pieces. But really just impressing the values. We both have very good families and very good solid family values. And um, I think um, that that love and care and, and sharing and um, supporting each other has come through. And, and I just find that's unconditional. So I'm, I'm just so proud of what they're doing. They're young adults and they're all having a crack at things and, you know, are good people and um, do good things. They all do something in a charitable sense to help people. Um, and they go for their goals. They're, they're, they're pretty determined like us. They, they, they like to drive to, to get somewhere and um you know so it's it's awesome but i love you know what they do with me they you know especially on a birthday or a father's day they'll just write a letter it's just presence not presence you know we don't, we don't it's no material stuff it's just be there chat write down how your year's been you know what what you know we've done together whatever and i just i just love um reading those those, those um words that they put on their cards um the people we've helped around australia i mean and the world i mean that that definitely is what you're proud of in probably more a legacy like you said what what do you sort of want to leave at the end what do they say about you at the end but you know we built um 12 um little mud brick houses up in the high up in the andes in peru and it was just on a trip with our kids one time and there was massive floods and all these um regional sort of native Indian type people were up there. And um, I just remember asking our guide, you know, can anyone help these people? Like, is the government going to rebuild their house? They got totally flattened by the, the rivers and, um, and no, any insurance, no, uh, there's just no hope. And, and they were living under tarpaulins, you know, just in sort of, you know, four by four square metres, sometimes with eight or 10 people, just almost sleeping on top of each other with a little kitchen and a sort of, you know, a fire in the ground and, very, um, you know, um, minimal resources. And so, and they all spoke Spanish, didn't even speak English. I just said right there and then it was probably the best thing, I, best thing I think I've done. I've said this to a number of people is I just said to Max, our guide, uh, tell these people we're going to rebuild their houses. And there was um, a dozen families, so over 100, 120 people. And, um, oh, mate, the tears and the, you know, prayers and the, it was unbelievable when they translated that um you know and it took look it took five five or six years we did two or three um buildings a year um and we went back and visited it last year liz and i in 2019 
and we had to wear all the dress-ups and the mayor came and uh, there was a full-on ceremony in the little town. It's in Olantay Tambo, which is just just the township before Machu Picchu, those that have been uh, on the Inca Trail and the, it's just in there, but but high up in the, you know, the, the disadvantaged communities there um, in which a lot of those countries people um, live in extreme poverty, you know, so... That, that, that would be my pr proudest moments for sure. Oh, I love that, Anthony. And there's, um, there's probably another 100, 100, 100 more as it relates to not exactly number one legacy, but legacy as it relates to a lot of the kids I know that you've helped on their journey to live their dream, particularly through the, uh, you know, the, the, the channels of the AFL. And one of them came close to winning a Brownlow last night, and that was exciting. Yeah. And, um, and and there's probably a few more to come, and, and your and your two boys are fine young men, both of them are. Um, if you could go back to tell your 17 year old self three things, three things, Anthony, and you're 17. I know it might feel like a long time ago, but I'm I actually feel like I'm 21 every day. I don't know how you feel, but if you could go back to tell your 17 year old self three things, what would they be? Well, I think going back to that age would be. Um... Develop, develop some tools to deal with relationships. So I, th I think, um, you know, I, I was probably more of the, a reserved, more shy type. And, and the best thing I could do was to, to go and play at some AFL clubs and to actually go and do a teaching course where you had to be up in front of people. Um, Kevin Sheedy made me do, do the warm-up for the, the Essendon, the, the premiership team, 84, 85, when I was there in 86. First session I was there, he said, right, Phillips, get in front. You're doing the warm-up because he knew I was a phys ed teacher. It's an amazing story and I almost died. I thought Kevin Sheedy, my idol, I used to vote for Richmond. I'm here with Simon Madden, Tim Watson, you know, uh, the Danahers, all these guys. And uh, sure enough, I got through it and I said, that was great, mate. That was better than what Sheeds and these guys do. <laughs> and, and so... Yeah, it was, it's quite um, yeah, it's quite uh, funny when you you look at that. So j just those tools to put yourself out there, yeah, and, and just um, you know have your say, you know, speak up and have a say, and, and um, yeah, I, I always say ask five questions to a new person you met, and you, you'll find out quite a bit about them. So the ability, I wasn't really strong at doing that until I got those opportunities. So at seventeen, that's what I would have um, uh, said, and also. Um, pursue your true passion. Um, I suppose my mum was big on make sure you finish your degree and study and get your education, but I just love playing footy. <laughs> my brother and I just want to be AFL players like our boys are. Like it's, um, you know, that's, but in those days you, you didn't earn much money. It was about a hundred bucks. And I remember going four times across to Essendon. I lived in East Bird and it was cost me 120 in petrol. I'm going, I think I'm losing <laughs> 20 here, but it's good fun. So it didn't really want out financially, not, not a good uh, business model, but uh, it's a good story. And so, yeah, but look, I think at the end of the day, you know, money's one thing and items, but just follow your passion and, and, and your love, you know, if you can combine that with work, what a bonus, you know. And the other, the, the only other thing would be to help others more. Like at that age, you know, I didn't think charitably, didn't think of volunteering, didn't really help anyone. I, I learned that probably about mid thirties, to be honest. Um, so looking back, I wish I'd known the, the intrinsic happiness and value you can get when you actually, um, a, you are of service to others, you help others, especially those that are in suffering, the ones that are really in some um, sort of poverty that uh, have no way out. So that'd be my lessons to, to the younger person. Oh, that's fantastic, mate. I love that. Um... If you could remove all barriers and constraints, what project would you do and why? 
Well, definitely um, the project we're working on, which is really <clears throat> exciting at the moment is what we call the ripple movement. And um, it's one Liz and I are doing with the Phillips Foundation, our foundation, and it's around providing that toolkit for young people really um, from very low, like early learning, you know, from when kids learn two, three, you know, probably into particularly primary age, you know, that has those sort of five areas. One, one of that physical self-care, that, that what you eat, how you exercise, how you look after your body, into that mental, how you really train your mind and your brain and, and, and look after your well-being um, is the second area. It's like a brand, five branches on a tree. The third one, your social relationships. So once you're pretty comfortable and, and you're very um, you know, confident with yourself, uh, good self-esteem, how you actually then relate with another individual, other people, um, then how you then pull that into groups, groups that you're working in the community, whether it's a footy club, a business group, um, you know, it could be a church group, could be a, you know, whatever, hobby type club, uh, et cetera. I think that how you actually work in the community and how the community comes together. And a good one was like, you know, our junior footy club and, and working with, uh, you know, Bendigo Bank and a number of the local businesses involving everyone to build the, the well-being, the facilities, the, the, we, we uh, introduced some social well-being programs, social responsibility programs to all the kids at our club. And, um, you know, it's just giving them the toolkit to navigate. And they were mainly for, I suppose, you know, even teenagers, you know, just navigating that, that um, time of maturation, you know, when you're maturing and um, mind and body. So that was, that was brilliant. Um, a holistic, ed it's all about a holistic education. I think put to one side the, the NAPLANs and the, you know, your VCE results and all that. I think when, once you've come through business and, and those sort of things, I think it is about um, learning and, and also sticking with what you're good at. Like if you're good at music or drama or dance or whatever, why not be able to pursue that? Um, and, and get the basic level of academia or whatever. But I think um, a lot of it, I know in our education focus, if you're not doing the maths and science and, you know, legal studies and all this sort of stuff, you, you know, you, you're not worth much. And I think, um, I think it has changed a lot. And I, I think it's really good that it has. And um, definitely that education uh, opportunity for disadvantaged kids, remote rural kids that probably don't have all the great facilities and resources teachers often don't travel into the remote areas as much they, they like to stick to the cities particularly in um, overseas countries we've seen in schools we've been building um, and the biggest one as as the gates foundation and i, I think all the big philanthropists have worked out if, you, if we can change girls education if we can get more girls educated more often for longer um, that ability to to give them um, you know that pathway to, to make something in their life not just be a mum or married off early and and set to have 10 kids, you know, overpopulating where it's not necessary, all those sort of things that are a big global problem because of the, the mass population, you know, grabbing all these, you know, finite sort of resources we've had. And we've, we've seen what's happened with the, you know, with David Attenborough, you just got to watch his, his films and the social dilemma things on now that, you know, we are sort of self-destructing in some areas, but we can change things if, if we're smart about it. And, and one big thing there is educating and educating girls, I think. So, so we're really um, passionate about that. So if you could remove all the barriers and constraints uh, around things, that I'd be going full on at that as hard as you can. Wow, that, that, that's very uh, precise. And, and, and no two ways about it. The ripple of that, the second, third, fourth order consequence of that, as you just shared on a surface there, is, is 
undeniably very, very big. It's huge. Uh, what's the biggest surprise you've had in business or life and why? <clears throat> biggest surprise, wow. Um, having a girl. <laughs> we had two boys uh, first and uh, we're from a family of boys, so it was just awesome. Um, you know, <laughs> my, our doctor, Tom Eggers, and I taught Tom, um, he's a gynecologist in Melbourne there, I taught his three kids at the school I taught at. And I, I actually, it was a funny story because I used to teach health education as well as physical education. And um, of course, his his uh, uh, children were the star pupils in health education, especially around sex education and where the babies come from. They used to, and all the kids would be giggling and they'd just go, bang, it's straight from there and there and does this and does that. And so, yeah, so that was, um, you know, it was just brilliant. And having Lucy, our girl, was just, just balanced it up. We're a bit male, you know, sort of butch and, you know, you know, push and shove and, you know, tackle and wrestle and all around the houses and, you know, a bit male, probably chauvinist in a lot of ways and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's just a blessing to have that nice balance of the other human. And um, I think uh, we've all got a bit, you know, if we have that little bit softer side as guys and you can have that little bit of firmer side of women, you know, balances up the human race. It's not an oppression of one and you know, one getting all the, you know, the easy way in life um, just because they're physically stronger and, and that sort of thing. So I just reckon it's just, that, that's the best surprise um, by far. And the le I've learned so much from from um, her and Liz, yeah. I always, uh, I turn around to my boys occasionally and say, man, I am so spewing I didn't start younger because I certainly needed a girl in this family. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It gets a bit macho and a bit yeah compared over competitive and it's just i think it's taught us those things to just relax and enjoy life and look at lots of other things and take it yeah as um as it comes you know so much in life. Oh. Yeah. but um yeah, the other thing, you go, go well, no, I, was, I was only going to say in business pro probably the biggest surprise um in that sense was um just our sale it was um just how we timed it we built that great product and system and then built great value, attracted an amazing worldwide seller and then amazing worldwide um, groups who were keen on our business. You just sort of pinch yourself and go, why us? Like we're just little suburban guys in Melbourne. And um, yeah, so it was a bit surreal, but um, that, that was probably when you, you, you say surprise in that question, I think that by the end of all that, that was a, a huge surprise, yeah. And um, it, it is interesting, and and you know, listening to your journey over, um, listening to your journey over the uh, the September series, and the way Andrew was unpacking it and sharing it, and and what have you, it's um, there is no surprise because if you put the work in, there is no surprise. But eventually, to play at a global level, yeah, and and to have um, you know been in that privileged position. Um, to be in that at that at that point of geez, we want to we want to really look at this, and you're playing with global level uh, um, um, purchases. That could be a surprise if that was not your intention. <laughs> like it's like yeah. holy shit, okay. No, uh, was it, and, and the funny story that was, uh, you know, my uh, Andrew was very much about the business and making profit and and growing it and and getting the value and, and looking probably to sell and all that, but. Um, even the night oh, we're in the lawyer's office right at the end for four or five hours. It was on the uh, cold play we're playing across at Eddie Had Stadium at the time there, and the lawyers were across. so. And and they said, "Oh, you've got to stay in the office for hours. You've got to sign all these papers." And we're, 
you know, that they negotiated in the last couple of clauses about this and that in the business transaction. I said, mate, I'm going to Coldplay. And the kid's saying, yeah, you, we're all going. Oh, I, did, I really did not care at the end. Um, yeah, it's funny. And I, and I actually, when I, we came back, I think Andrew and I, after the concert, it was like one in the morning. We stayed there till four in the morning until the final clause was agreed. And I fell asleep. I found some couch yeah, in the lawyer's office somewhere. And Andrew, Andrew, I think, was right there looking over every detail, asking them all the and, uh, and all the all the thing. You know, the thirty-five pages are out there to sign. And and Andrew, I've never seen him write so fast. He went around the table, <laughs> and uh, and then they go right, your turn, Anthony. And I actually just paused and stopped. And I, I had real tears, and I just I, I did. I said, I really don't want to do this. I don't. I don't. I don't actually care about money. I, I love what we do. And, and, and Andrew's just looking at me. He was about to kill me. And all the lawyers have been going for weeks and weeks. And they're going, are you for real, mate? And because um, it was contingent on both of us signing, of course. So uh, it, that, that is a true story, and uh, which hasn't been told. But, um, yeah, I was really, I mean, we, we just love what we did. But, like, you know, it's given us great opportunities now to do a lot more of the, you know, the philanthropy and the social impact work, which is just, we couldn't have done that if you're still um, pushing with such a big business. You'd have no other time to breathe except do that. And so, yeah, so it was a good outcome in the end. Well, that's a good story. Uh, do you um, do you have any secret routines that help you stay productive? I mean, you mentioned yoga and meditation and stillness um, earlier, but do you have any secret routines that help you stay productive? Particularly, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be fair to assume, not not actually know, that your your days these days are a little uh, less pressured, and when they're less pressured, you might be less productive. But I, I, knowing you, I don't think that's the case. But um, do you have any secret routines that help you stay productive? Yeah, it's an interesting point. Less pressured, but more trying to be more productive is probably the goal. Um, so. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm very routine driven. And, you know, if, if I always start with headspace, do a, you know, a mind uh, routine, train the brain. Um, definitely, uh, you know, Qigong or Tai Chi, get the, the energy systems moving, just get the body moving. Then definitely something of physical, physically challenging and working out whether it's a run, ride, a gym circuit, whatever, get that body, uh, the physical um, strength, conditioning going and, and, and eating really well, like uh, trying to be a bit more conscious about you know, what you eat, what you put in your system. Definitely some time for some relaxation. So even if it's half an hour, an hour, you know, just sitting on the deck, looking out at the nature or, you know, patting the dog or taking the dog for a walk, um, chatting with, um, you know, one of your kids or your wife, if you haven't haven't for a couple of days, you know, just seeing how their day was, that sort of thing. Making some sort of social connection. So ringing someone, teeing up to see someone for, you know, they may enjoy, you know, um, having a, a bite to eat at lunch or doing one of the routines with you, something like that. Definitely a connection in, in the bigger picture with community, you know, something that you've made a project you've been working on. So I'd try, try and do something around that. And that might be coaching, you know, coaching uh, kids and stuff. Um, yeah. And look, I suppose it, it always goes along. You're always got a little bit of thinking and planning about those bigger issues, you know, those, especially global. I think of the world a lot and the, planet and the, the future generations and what we're leaving it to and how we can still collectively act if we're smart and it doesn't it's not all about money it's just decisions good decisions and listening to young people not just telling them what to do um, I think that's a big um, part of it and I try and do a bit of that every day just listen and learn something um, and try and implement yeah as you go so yeah it is a little bit 
planned. Um, I, I'm also really great on a holiday and whatever comes. But, you know, I'd rather be hiking a mountain or going, you know, out snorkeling or something like that. I don't like sitting. Although on my honeymoon, I read the Bible. <laughs> after, that's a true story. After about seven days and uh, I'd disappear after three or four and Liz was just, she was just so, you know, all the, the planning and preparation. She just went to lie in a banana lounge all the time. So I, I, was, I went in tennis tournaments, table tennis tournaments, water polo <laughs> matches at these resorts over in Thailand, I think we were. And then, and then we went to this really remote island and there was like nothing to do. And I'm just going, yeah, after I'd done a run and done a bit of swimming and, and just working on the body, there's nothing else to do. So I, re- I read the New Testament. So that was uh, 20 odd years ago, but not that I can quote, not that I can quote much, but hopefully I've learned, learned a couple. Lo- love thy neighbour, mate. That's all you need to remember. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, if you could have a dinner party with just three people, dead or alive, who would they be and why? Oh, geez. Chris Martin for sure. Coldplay. I reckon he's just funny. He's a funny dude. And um, I loved his stuff in COVID. Uh, and uh, he was doing little sing alongs in his house and he'd forget the, the words to his songs. These worldwide <laughs> hits. He's made million, multi millions from it. It was just, he's just hysterical. And if you've ever been to his concert, he just cracks jokes the whole time. And uh, I just, I just, <laughs> I just always thought it'd be great to stand there on the stage while he's singing, looking out. You know, and there's 50,000 with all the lights on, and, you know, like with their candles. And I just thought, I reckon he'd be awesome just to have. And probably M- Michael Jordan absolutely idolised him growing up. He was just the, the, not just the sportsman, but the athlete, like the athleticism and the precision in his skill was just like I've never seen before. I mean, LeBron James is probably close to it now for, for this generation, but his, his will to win, his hardness on others to get better and but then realizing with others he could keep getting better and go on, you know, like in the uh, the last dance that um, series where he realized and the coach helped him that you can bring up Pippen and you can bring up, you know, Luke Longley and the other guys around him and um, Rodman and and um, and I really appreciate them more and be, became a bit more of a team. So I reckon he'd be awesome and, and Federer's just like grace, you know. We're big tennis fans, so. I was a tennis coach for many years, so I, I just love he. I think his sportsmanship, his grace, and his sportsmanship, and you know, just the way he's, he's dignified, the way he holds himself and speaks. And I know he does a lot of charity work too. And um, so they're my three. <laughs> Man, that's a, uh, that's a that's a that's a pretty cool lineup there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's it, it's more about who you're leaving out versus who you're putting in. If yeah. I can help you unwind three financial decisions in your life, how much more money would you have right now? Now, I understand money's not the driver, certainly hasn't, wasn't and isn't, but if I could help you unwind three financial decisions in your life, how much more money would you have right now? Yeah, I'm a bit... It was sort of that question to me. I really... My mum used to always say, money's the root of all evil and, um, you know... People change when they get a lot of money. And I, so I always remembered her saying that. And I didn't even care because she said it when I was before we even was, you know, got money from business or anything. And I'd always tell the story. My first, my, my seven years teaching phys ed, I didn't even know what I got paid. I didn't even care what I got paid. I never even looked what I got in the bank account. I just thought, how good is this? Someone's paying me to do what I love. And same today, I coach. I, I don't do it for money. I, I just love doing it. And it's just awesome. Of course, you need money for you know, the basics, shelter, food, 
you know, to bring up your kids, to educate them. Absolutely, 100% with all that. And you need to work hard. And, and you know, that other learning of um, save for a rainy day, don't, don't just go on credit and, and um, put yourself out there. Make sure you put them, you know, money away in little interest-bearing accounts. We, we did that from word go. And, and I went to the bank every day and put it in interest accounts and saw it compound and grow when I was young, when I was 18 to even 25. And so, you know, those little disciplines, I think, are tried and tested. And so that, that's definitely um, one of those decisions. Um, you know, I think if kids did that a bit more today, um, you know, you could definitely, I suppose, um, increase what you got. Um, I mean, my dad then said, always run, have your own business. He always worked for a boss, very big companies, big Japanese companies around the world, Sharp, and, you know, he worked for South Corp and um, Renai Heaters and some big ones. And he was always owned, you know, he got paid well as a director or a, a manager, um, um, but he just he always encouraged us to go be your own boss. And Andrew and I are pretty driven guys and believed in ourselves. So there's no no problem with driving on that. So I suppose, you know, ultimately you take lots, lots of risk, but without risk, there's no reward. And I suppose if, to answer your question to get more money, you've got to take some risks. You know, if you don't take some risk, there's no way you're going to get do better than just the normal. Um, so own business, crucial. Um super supportive people around is the key like you've got to you've got to have your um you know your, your your key whether it's your wife your brother your family who who have some of those disciplines and have some of those um um you know experiences and um you know just manage family wealth well is really good our families didn't have any money really so it's now a point of learning from some good external people that had um, money in families for hundreds of years we met a family I went to one seminar with David Smorgan once and there was a family in Sweden who had the same business for 400 years, you know? <laughs> so it was like, whoa. And some had, we're running still the same family four generations later from 120 years ago. Like, so and we, we just had this little sparky idea that just sort of took off, you know, it wasn't meant to be, we didn't plan it. It just was a massive society change that helped our business grow. So I suppose being on a niche and being on a society trend that's a high need, not just a want, you know, we all have discretionary wants, but something a, a massive society are going to need is, is a way to probably get ahead if you can get your efficiencies right. And then the last thing I'd say is key people, you've got to have key staff. Like you can't do it all. You've got to find and train lieutenants and people that know your way to, to you know, to spread and build volume, whether it's a high margin business or low, you're still going to need volume. Um, and so those key people that live and breathe the business are crucial and, and you need your coaching, your best coaching skills to get them on board. That is uh, some sound advice there, Anthony. And my grandfather actually taught me it's not money that is the root of all evil, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So yep. it was a really good distinction that, and, and again, God rest his soul, he uh, I vividly remember him in the um, in 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 the, in the early eighties as I was coming through high school when he used to say that to me. He say, "One day you're going to be a very successful man, but it's not money that makes you success. It's the way people acknowledge you. It's the way people respect you that makes it successful." And, and then he spoke about money, which was really interesting. So it's good to hear um, your, your, your late mother's um, advice there too. You know, money is the root of all evil, and. You know, the, the older generations had a certain way of, you know, communicating these fundamental little pearls of wisdom. In saying that, great advice that you just shared there as, as it relates to um, 
you know, managing managing wealth, managing your family wealth, key people, surrounding yourself, whether it's external or internal to your business, to your to your life, making sure you got the right people around you. But what is the best advice you've ever been given? You've ever been given, and why? What? What? Why was that piece of advice? Whether it was from your mother, your father, and you've shared a few. Whether it was from your mentors, what has been? in your consideration, the best advice you've ever been given and why? There's, there's been heaps of it and, um, you know, probably I still always answer this question as my dad was probably my best mentor in a business sense. So advice in a business sense, um, definitely run your own business. Uh, uh, yeah, so so going on to the point we just mentioned last time, you know, that, um, you know, that was the only way you'll get ahead in a profit share sense. So you'll always work for a salary-management fee um, he rarely had a piece of the action. So I suppose went by, you know, and you probably knew Andrew and I had 50-50 shares. We never sold out any um, actual shares. So I suppose we kept that ownership all the way through. So that was um, big advice. And I suppose when the, the final sale comes, that was quite significant um, advice from him. Um, I think the mentors, our advisory board, were just always... Um, they were challenging. They always focused on big picture, always focused on strategy. Um, they could pick things up with a fine tooth comb in the figures and, and, and really say, why is that happening? And so we had to answer those things and it made us go back and there was the next few weeks of work. So it was always great advice in our those sort of monthly meetings we had. But the best thing was the, the G up and the positivity and encouragement and um, they'd give us, even if we had a bad month or we we're losing money or, yeah, it was always we went out inspired. And so that, I think the advice of those people who bought and sold many businesses, particularly in, you know, even guys in education and, you know, in the space we we're in. So um, we really took that advice. Um, that, that was always the, the best thing. Um, probably the other things more in life is stick to your values. And Andrew and I always had the four of being professional and ethical Every decision, everything we came across, um, you know, was um, we looked at every single thing with those two things. Are we being professional? Are we being ethical? Can we sleep well at night? Are we doing the right thing? And and we could really, we, we nutted through some huge, huge decision-making with those and respect and gratitude to all our staff, our suppliers, our clients, our kids, our, our schools were the two other um personal value so always showed a thanks appreciation for what was being done for us and respect to every person didn't matter if they were the cleaner a little assistant on the you know that was 18 years old to a 55 year old lady who had been uh, running childcare for 30 years we showed tried to show the same level of respect for everyone so that's probably um, advice I suppose that we learned to stick to your strong personal values and uh, and we utilize that very well and the other thing I reckon is just the keep keep the basics. The the kiss principle, keep it simple, stupid. Like is the best advice. You know, su great supreme customer service. Always look after your customer. Ask them, help them, do things, fix things for them. Be competitive. Okay, yeah, there's going to be people who follow you, copy you, whatever. Make sure you got good value for your price um, of what your goods are or services. And you've got to work on the product. Don't just think the product is going to keep going. We invented, reinvented, 
um, huge initiatives. Our camps went from basic day camps to half day camps to full day camps to adventure camps to super camps. My dad helped us um, th- th- this amazing super camp, the, the best holiday camp experience a kid could go uh, with and it's a great story um, that we used to even have a beach scene and we'd bring in sand and seaweed and umbrellas and surfboards and everything in the foyers of these schools to make the kids feel like, you know, this product's the best. It's number one. You've got to be here. You've got to have it. So I mean, the advice to bring it to life, I suppose, and, and just make sure your product the best, you know, keep striving. That, that's probably the other thing that we would sort of um, encourage from watching our other mentors do as well. Oh, I love that. Anthony Phillips, a great Australian story, not, not, not in the making, has been made, and the next phase is just as exciting. I thank you so much for this, uh, for this sharing and uh, your uh, sincere and precise, uh, again, you know, reflection. And, and, and ultimately, you know, here is, a, here is a story that in 1987 um started that's camp australia before that you were a school teacher who just loved what you did and regardless of what you were getting paid you're as happy as a kid in uh you know um sitting on a packet of smarties mate so unbelievable story and thank you for your sharing thank you for this afternoon and power to you my friend thanks a lot stefan for more information about business benchmark groups coaching education and training programs visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 03 0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud and leave feedback as well. Stefan shares so much value in all his podcasts and we encourage you to go through the archives and listen to other episodes of the Business Benchmark Group podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.